Hey, this is Dave Broadbeck. I'm your instructor. Unless you're not just listening to this for fun because you're some kind of person who listens to university lectures for fun. I was going to insult you. I decided against it. So person who's listening to this for fun, I'm not going to insult you. Anyway, uh, yeah, uh, I'm Dave Broadbeck here at Algoma University, and you're about to listen to a lecture from uh, the fall 2023 term of Psychology 3106, Animal Behavior. It's what the cool kids study in school. Sorry, I didn't mean to yell there. Hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, I still get paid, so I don't really care. So yeah, in the next class we'll be doing two topics or one and a half. This one's kind of short, but we've done the tests and all that stuff. But the next time we need to get through the next topic in like 40 minutes, so I don't want to just be 40 minutes. So we may do next one's evolution behavior, I think, and doing adaptation as well. Um, they go together anyway. They go together anyway. In fact, when this course was originally designed, they were together. So it doesn't. It's not a problem if they go apart. All right, but today we're going to talk about the organization of behavior. All right. Oh boy, I've been marking neuroscience tests all day, and I'm not. Um, if if I stumble because I can't find words, you can blame your colleagues. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Blame blame Keo. So. Yeah, most, most of the time it's fair. Uh, so animals can do lots of things. Uh, that's, here's the news flash. So here, I'm just giving you some examples of some, some behavior that we will talk about in the course that we already have talked about, foraging, uh, territorial defense. They can look for mates. These are the kind of things, in fact, that a lot of, you know, we, we care about these things a lot to the point where, in fact, we have a foraging lecture, there's a territory lecture, and there's a mating systems lecture. So these are just three things that I just pulled out of uh, my course outline, frankly, uh, and uh, they're there. So the problem that any animal, and that includes a human, has is when do you do what? Right? And typically only a single behavior or a single behavior system is activated. The behavior systems approach, which I'll talk a bit about today, is something that is a classic ethological way of looking at animal behavior. It's, it's a very uh, hip European way. <laughs> it's not that hip, actually. It's older than... Anyway, uh, but the point is that it's a classic way of doing things. It's the idea that there are different systems, like there's, there's a system for reproductive behavior, there's a system for foraging behavior. It makes some sense. They're sort of cognitive or behavioral systems, okay? So, just like humans can't multitask, even though a lot of them think they can, well, they can, they just don't do any. If you're doing two tasks, you can't do either of those tasks as well as just doing one of them. You know, it's like the people say, I, 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 I study better when I listen to music. No, I don't think you do. I think you think you do, though. I'm quite sure you think you, you, you study better when you're got. Battlestar Galactica on in the background. 
I mean, literally, I was going to mark test today, and I put some music on with it. No, don't do that. It will distract you. Um, it's just, it, you know, think about this. It's pretty illogical to think that you, you, you have a finite amount of behavioral resources. Dividing them up into two things is going to work as well as doing one or the other. Okay? So when do you do what? You being any animal. Um, and it's usually now adaptive to do two things at once. So if you're foraging and looking for mates, you're probably not going to find as good quality mates and as good quality food as you could if you just look for mates or just look for food. And I think that's just a logical thing, right? Uh, that, you, that, that, you should, that should just follow. So it's usually, in fact, now adaptive to do two things at once. And it's probably even now adaptive to do things in the wrong order. Right? So if you, you being, I don't know, whatever kind of animal you are, if you decide you're going to, well, I gotta do some foraging and then I'll go look for a mate. Well, if you look for a mate first, then you go foraging, maybe you're gonna die because you don't get any food. Like this, right? Like if you're something, you know, animals don't live like we do in the wild. They don't, they aren't always full. They didn't, oh, I've haven't eaten for a couple of hours. I'm so hungry. Oh, I gotta go to the vending machine and get a Snickers bar for $83. <laughs> it still doesn't work, by the way. You find that though, you do the thing, okay, okay. Oh, look, oh, no, it's not good. No Snickers bar. Charge me $2.90 though. Anyway. When I was young, they were less than that. And you couldn't pay for things with your phone because your phone was hooked into the wall and it weighed eight pounds. Um, Doing things in the wrong order is no good. Doing the wrong thing at the wrong time is no good. So animals have to choose. And again, when I say choose, they aren't making a, quote, conscious decision. But there are mechanisms to make the choices for them. All right. So there's got to be some kind of central control mechanism that will tell the animal to do certain behaviors in certain orders. It just follows. There must be some central control mechanism. So the classic example here that is always done in courses like this, since before I took courses like this even, was we talked about homeostatic systems quickly, systems, I'm sorry, things like, um, oh, body heat, things like that. Because there is a central mechanism, uh, and we can even use a great example of a, a thermostat in a house. We don't have to even think about animal behavior for a second. We can do something that you've all done, which is turn the heat up or down. Right? So there's a set point, that's what you set the thermometer at, or, or the uh, thermostat at, I'm sorry. So let's say you set your thermostat at 20 degrees. That's reasonable. And what happens is we have this controlled variable, which is the temperature, and we end up with, uh, we can either, we can affect it by, we can increase the temperature by turning on the furnace. You can also do that in a, in a living thing, you don't turn on the furnace, it's, uh, I don't know, how can you get warmer? Well, you could shiver. You could have your fur stand up. Usually we only go one way with the feedback, feedback to here. 
but you can do both. You can set it though, so you don't want temperature going any higher than a certain level or lower than a certain level. You can screw that up and make it so your air conditioning and your heat keep going on and fight each other, like in Homer Simpson's car, like that episode. And then there's a weather system in his car, because he's got, anyway. Uh, simplest to think of a simple example like, say, the heat in your house or air conditioning. But in fact, frankly, for something a little more complicated like we are, homeostatic systems in an animal, we have a set point for our body temperature and we can make our temperature go up or down behaviorally. Um, you're thinking, well, that's not a lot of behavior, Dave. Making your, you know, hair stand dynamic your arm. Yeah, does it have any effect on my body temperature? A negligible, but probably measurable effect. Does sweating? Yeah, sweating certainly cools you down. That's the point of it, unless it's too warm where you, and then, of course, too humid rather than it doesn't work at all, and all it does is make you feel gross. Uh, but behaviorally, you may go get a blanket. <laughs> you may also, let's pretend instead of you being you, let's say that you're a baby rabbit, which makes you all extremely cute. And that's not weird me saying that, because I'm saying you're rabbits first. So <laughs> if you're a bunch of rabbits and you're just born, you get a disease. See, I thought weird. I just gave you all a disease. Um, you, can't, you can't get fevers yet. In fact, it's true with human babies, too, when they're first born. Um, they can get fevers, but sometimes the weirdest thing about having a newborn baby is when half their body is warm and half is cold. With your first kid, your second kid, you go, yeah, oh, that's happening again, cool. But when it's your first one, everything you do, you're assuming you're actually destroying the person's life. It's the old joke, okay? The first kid, if they, if they, if they, if they, if they sooner or so, you know, if they drop it on the ground, you throw it in the garbage. Second kid, you boil it until it's, you know, sterilized. Third kid, you, you just wipe it off on your shirt. And the fourth kid, you let the dog lick it off, and you just leave it back to the So what happens is with little rabbits, they can't get a fever. So if you give them a disease, like say the flu, and I'm talking about a paper that was actually done, where they gave little tiny rabbits the flu. That doesn't sound very nice. And I'm not giving anybody the flu on purpose. Purpose, I mean. And then they just measure what they do. You know what they do? They go and give themselves a behavioral fever. If you give them a choice between two places to go, so one has a heat lamp and one doesn't have a heat lamp, they go where the heat lamp is. What they normally do is go hide underneath their mom. And the heat helps kill whatever the infection is, which is, of course, you probably know what fevers are supposed to do. So it can be behavioral. We don't think of the kind of behavior of keeping our body temperature uh, set point, uh, keeping our body temperature steady, I'm sorry, as very behavioral in humans, though it probably can be. I, I haven't seen anything on infants because they don't do a lot. And they can get fevers pretty quickly, like within a few days. But the first few days of a baby's life are hilarious. I mean, when it's not your kid. It's funny laughing at new parents. I mean, really do. Once you're about a week in, you're still confused and frightened, but you're so tired that it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, you all look at me like that now. Just wait. Okay. So let's think about behavior, right? So 
So behavior systems approach, as I've talked about already, is since there's different systems that have different actions, different functions, and those are feeding, mating, grooming, whatever. Uh, and that system is put into action by stimuli, those are environmental factors, um, and also by internal mechanisms. So the external stimuli, but also internal mechanisms. So it's not just, so the external thing would be, I don't know, well, let's say getting sick or whatever. Let's use something a little less, well, not nice. So what do we got? I don't know. Well, I got a good example in a second. I don't want to steal my own thunder. So but as I said before, it's a classic approach in ethology. This is, if you go read journals like, well, ethology would be one. Uh, animal behavior is another one. Um, anything that comes out of Europe, especially, um, and it, it talks about animal behavior, you'll see this behavior systems approach a lot more than you do in North America. Um, it's just weird. I don't know why that is. It starts, that's, it happens a lot with ideas. They start in certain places and they become popular there and they're, they can have influence somewhere else, but they're not as big. It's like, for some reason, Canadian psychology is really good at memory. And that's because Endel Tolvin moved here in like 1960. I swear to God, that's why that happened. And then everybody just came to U of T. I told you he died, eh? just like three weeks ago. I didn't know that. Yeah, well maybe I didn't say it. But yeah, he died three weeks ago. I got an email from one of his old grad students. All right, so let's, my favorite example of this is dust bathing. Dust bathing in Burmese red jungle fowl is what I'm gonna talk about and Burmese red jungle fowl are basically the ancestor of the modern domestic chicken. Um, if you see a Burmese red, if you see Bur a jungle fowl, they just basically are chickens. Uh, they, they can mate with uh, domestic chickens, etc. It's like wolves and dogs, okay, that kind of thing. So I didn't even know if you can call them a separate species in a lot of respects. So what they do is they bathe with dust. The function of this behavior, you want to know what the function and the cause, the function of the behavior is to remove oils from the feathers. We think, I mean, you can't really know that. That's a pretty damn good guess because it does that. It does clean them. Think about this. If you're an animal that lives where, on the ground, you're not going to run into a lot of water, but you're running into a lot of dirt. So if you ever watch, you ever watch a bird bathe itself? Anybody here have like a bird bath in their front lawn? You see yeah. birds in there bathing. It's really cool behavior because it's also very uh, ritualized. Like it's, it's always in the same order and it's always the same behaviors. Some may last longer than others, but it's always the same behaviors in the same order. If you see anything like that, that should tell you that it's one of those behavior system things. It's like it's just started and it's gonna go till it stops. So what you have here with what they're doing is they get the oil in their feathers and they do that by getting dust clumping up on the oil and then shaking the dust off that's clumped onto the oil in their feathers. Okay, so it's, it's, it's bathing, it's just bathing in dust. 
which I think probably many of us as small children probably wish we could have done, rather than, weird, eh, when kids go, I don't want to have a bath, what? How can you not, it's like not, not wanting to brush their teeth. Oh, you like that taste in your mouth? I mean, most kids don't smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. You know, most of your kids, most of your top kids are heavy smokers. <laughs> but it's just weird, right? Kids are really stupid. Anyway, words of Homer Simpson, if they were smart, they'd be adults already. I don't think kids are stupid. I think some kids are stupid. Um, <laughs> okay, what happens, this is a Burmese fat jumble file. You can see, it's basically a chicken. It's chicken. So what this animal does is it starts fluffing up some dust. So they basically find some dust, and this you can see here, there's a bit. Okay, this is basically, uh, looks like, yeah, that's outside. So this is basically just found some dirt, some dry dirt, and it just starts to fluff it all up. And then there's what's called a bill scratch, which it's doing here. You see it's scrape, scrap, scraping its bill on the ground, again, to get dust up here. This is the function on the neck. And in fact, when you watch them do this, you don't see it here. But when this is done in, in, in the lab, uh, you don't use dust. You use, um, well, you use dust. It's sawdust what you use because it's easy to find. You can buy sawdust. You can go to, you know, in fact, a lot of times, if you go to, you know, like Sue Mill or something, say, can I have some sawdust? Let me give it to you because they have no use for it, right? So this is what I know people who've worked with Jungle Bell. And what, what they do is they just go to a local lumber yard and they just load up on sawdust and bring it back to the lab, and that's what's used. And you put the dust down, and the, the birds will, it works. They can, they can dust bathe in that, it's no problem. Um, and they get almost like a cloud of dust. It's an amazing thing to see. They move so much with the, the, the um, uh, bill raking and scratching with their talons that there's like a cloud, and they move around in it. They're basically ha they're having a bath, except they're doing it in dust, right? Um, and then, do I have that next? Oh, the final thing they do is they do a vertical wing shake. So they actually shake their wings up and down like this. If you ever get a chance, the, to, the, 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 probably the world's leading researcher on dust bathing in Burmese red jungle fowl, which is, that's like being the fastest runner on my street. But there's a guy named Jerry Hogan, a friend of mine, and Jerry's at uh, the University of Toronto. And he's, uh, I, I can't believe he's still. Uh, he was a prof when I was there. I'll just write his name down here. So Jerry Hogan. Like, there you go. So I'll talk a little bit about Jerry's work. Um, I mentioned him because he, is, he was a professor in animal behavior when I was in grad school. And his lab was full of jungle power chickens. Lots of them. And I'll tell you something, you may not know this. Anybody here actually keep chickens? Because maybe, maybe you do know this, but yeah. Female ones are fine. Male ones are mean. Kind of the way the world works when you come right down to it. But um, yeah, female ones are fine. They're fine. You go in, you can, 
They come up, they walk. Male ones, they'll, they'll attack you and try to kill you. And they have very sharp talons, and they're frightening animals. You would think a chicken can't hurt me. Yeah, you know, mocking the chicken by holding like a, a KFC bucket going, this is what happens to people like you, doesn't really affect chickens. All I know is I, I once saw a lab assistant in a corner like this, and two roosters just like looking at him, going, making rooster noises. He's like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. All right. This is actually really complicated behavior. So this is actually it's from a paper of Jerry Hogan's. Um, so we have a circadian rhythm. You bathe at, at the same time. I don't know that. I, that, looked, that looked like I knew when you all had showers. I'm sorry, that was weird. Um, I'm sure you all, like I do, bathe at the, roughly the same time each day. And so do they. So they're inside them, there's a rhythm. There's a rhythm that makes the dust bathing system go off. So when this rhythm happens and they see dust, we get the behavior. Because if you, like, I don't know, I have a shower in the morning at whatever it is, 7 o'clock in the morning, and I have one at about 7 o'clock at night after I will get it. If we didn't have a shower, I don't know, let's say when the water wasn't working, I wouldn't have a shower. Same thing with the, with the jungle fountain. If there's no dust, they don't dust make. You're gonna find, by the way, that a lot of the people who do this work are Dutch, and I don't know why. Just like how Canadians are good at certain, you know, the Dutch are really good at ethology. Animal behavior is a big thing in Holland. I don't know why, it just is. And you can see names like Verstegard, that's Dutch, Kruit, and Hogan, you say, Hogan's not, no, he's American, naturalized Canadian citizen. His wife, Dutch, who's a pathologist. So this is a cluster cigar, yeah. They found, in fact, that they don't need dust. They'll still dust bathe without dust. But they will only dust bathe without dust if they've never seen dust before. What? Okay, well this is actually a bit hard to do. All you do is you take chickens and you raise them, but you raise them in wire mesh cages. No dust. No dust. So what Verstegard and Hogan and Kroik found was that if they had birds that were raised without dust, they would do this dust bathing behavior on a, on a bare wire mesh cage inside. They would do all the behavior. It wouldn't actually accomplish anything. It would be like you going into the shower when the water's turned off and going, oh. Oh boy, I guess I'm dry. Uh, you know, so it'd be exactly like that, except again, they normally needed dust. They wouldn't, they, there's no dust. Now, if they've seen dust in their lives, if like when they develop, when they're young, then they need the dust. But if, there's, if they've never seen it, they still develop this really weird behavior. We talked about developmental canalization, or the idea of systems developing even when they're under suboptimal conditions. That's exactly what that would be. 
Hogan and Van Boxel, not Dutch, but a Dutch name. That's Francis Van Boxel's masterpieces. Um, and then she left, I think she went to medical school. So she became a fake doctor, not a real doctor like me. Um, what Francis found is that the dust bathing itself was rhythmic only 14 days post-hatch. Yeah, go ahead. I have kind of a weird question. Yeah. So you know how you were saying, like, they don't see it happen, so they don't know how to do it? Yeah. But they still know the process of it? That's right. So my dog, would it be the same thing? So this is kind of weird, but she's never seen another dog pee on a tree. Yeah. So she doesn't know how to pee on a tree. Sure. But she still sniffs the tree and knows to smell for the other guys. Here. That could may very well be the case, but it also may be the case that the dog can smell things that we just can't smell. Right? It could just be this dog's piss on trees. So yeah. Well, like it's like telephone poles and everything, everything like another dog can pee on, right? Oh sure. But in that case, she's already can smell it. Yeah. I guarantee you she can already smell it, right? Because they live dogs live in a very smelly world and we just don't live in. Um, it would be more like, I'm trying to think of something like this. I don't know. It's probably just a Oh, it's kind of weird. Oh, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, that's why you have to get your right? Because you see these things. The other thing is, with non-humans, I mean, if you did that, that's weird, I shouldn't have said that. But if, if you did it, um, I could ask, why did you do that? But you've got to actually do a whole series of experiments with an animal, with a non-verbal animal, right? So this is what happens here, and Jerry and Francis actually found that, and I'm sorry that I call these people their first names, these are my friends, and I feel really weird calling them by their last names. I heard somebody say once, are you trying to impress us that you know them? No, there's a reason they're on this slide. They're like, oh, dust bathing, oh, Jerry Hogan. They're my friends. Anyway, sorry. There's one person when they said to me, you're trying to impress me? No, I'm really not. I'm not here to impress you. Jerk. Anyway, a um, little punchy type, a little punchy. Been working tests all day, a little punchy. So, this is cool, right? 14 days post hatch, already rhythmic, and the babies, the young, they just bathe at noon and 4 p.m. <laughs> Whereas adults dust bathe at noon only. Okay? So, there's a circadian aspect to this. A circadian aspect. So inside the rhythm has to say, do it now. And if you've experienced dust, which almost all animals would have, if it hits noon, they look for dust. If it hits noon and you've never seen dust, go, well, it's noon, this is when I jump around like an idiot in my cage. I have no idea why I'm doing it, but it's a good time. Right? So it's fascinating behavior and um, extremely complicated behavior. And if you ever get a chance to see Jerry Hogan do his impression of a Burmese red jungle fowl dust bathing, take that chance. It's great. Seeing like an 85-year-old man pretend to dust bathe is the greatest thing. It was great when he was my age and I watched him do it when I was in grad school. All right. I talked about circadian rhythms. Let's think about this for a second. Almost all our behavior, when I say our, I mean everything, not just humans, all of us. Extremely temporally organized, which makes sense. The world, you know, spins and such. We have days and nights, so. So dust bathing's a great example, but there's so many things that are 
circadian, that have circadian rhythms. Circadian is from the Latin, circa, approximately, dia, a day. It's about a day. So it's not just animals, as I say here, it's living things. There are growth cycles in slime molds that are on a 24-hour cycle. You want to be on a 24-hour cycle on a planet that spins. <laughs> Because there's days and nights. If we had no days and nights, well, it'd be different. You know where the hell we'd all live, right at the edge. Okay. So there's a pretty good reason that things are organized temporally, our behavior is just because our planet is. The universe we evolved in is like that, so we may as well organize our behavior that way. So the environment changes on the schedule. All right. And this is true in you too, by the way. I mean, this is why you get jet lag. You can't get jet lag staying in the same time zone. So you've never gotten jet lag flying to Toronto or Montreal. But you can't get it flying to further away places. Right? And it's it's disconcerting, isn't it? Right? If you've ever had that, it's a very strange feeling. It's like my body thinks it's when I I remember once I went up to the UK and I arrived, and it was overnight, so it was overnight because they are. And then so I get there and it's uh, I got to Oxford at 10 a.m. I got to London at 10, Oxford at noon. Now my body was five hours earlier, right? So it was like I had just got up, so it wasn't so bad. Or no, it was later, right? It'd be later. Yeah, so my, my body, yeah, that's right. No, that's right. Yeah. So my body thinks it's like five o'clock in the morning, but it's actually 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I get there, I don't sleep on, you ever sleep on a plane? It's the worst, it's full of horrible people. Planes are awful. Planes were great, and then they got not as great. A lot of people who don't know. There should be a different airline for people who don't fly. They should have their own lines where they all keep all their stuff in their pockets. So I don't know what's making the metal detector go off, and it's keys, you moron. Anyway, sorry. I, get, I hate the traveling public. I hate everybody, mostly. You guys are fine. She seems okay. Rest of you. Anyway, thing is, next day. That was, was great. It was a dinner party for me. That's nice. Okay, fine. I get dinner party at 7 o'clock and my body's going, Ugh, I'm feeling kind of weird here because I think I don't know if I slept at all. But I'm like, I'm fine. Next day I woke up. 7 o'clock p.m. Um, I slept a lot. Jet lag's tough. You readjust. You're fine. Same thing happens with any other animal. It happens with plants even. So, what we're going to do, we can look at behavior and see how it, if it's, if it runs on a schedule. We just have to look at how much an animal's doing. We, we pick some response variable. Uh, I don't know, let's go with uh, just running, let's, let's just use hamsters and have them run in hamster wheels. Beautiful. And that's easy to measure because I can put a little I can attach a little motor to a hamster wheel so I can measure 
uh, how much it's run. Trivially easy. And if you've ever had a hamster, you know that hamsters are nocturnal animals and will keep you up at night if you don't, if you have the hamster cage in your bedroom because your parents think that hamsters sleep at night. So we can then look at the behavior and see if it follows a daily rhythm. So it kind of works something like this. We have what's called entrainment. Entrainment is when an animal gets, has its behavior synced to the day-night cycle or the light-dark cycle of the environment they're in. That's called entrainment. Okay, so that's when your jet lag's over. So in a couple of days, my jet lag's over. Then I was able to spend entire evenings at pubs. There's something weird about going into a pub that's 600 years old, but they have a big screen TV. Like, it's just disconcerting. It's fine in England. It makes complete sense over there. I saw a hockey, I watched an NHL hockey game in an 800-year-old pub. I said to the guy, so, out of curiosity, there's no sign for the pub, and I gotta walk down an aisle, I kid you not, it was about as wide as the, this aisle between these heads. I said, how do you guys stay open? He said, we've been here for 800 years, I think word of mouth works pretty well. I said, yeah, I guess so. And then, then he put on a hockey, he said, you're a yank. I said, oh, no, no, no. Quite a little Canadian repel can't think of. Oh, right, we like you. Um, what would you like? What's on the telly? I said, Well, could you put a hockey game on? Ice hockey? I don't know if we can find that. It was a thing. Blackhawks Rangers. I said, Yeah, yeah, put that on. So he puts it on. I, me and him are the only people in the bar. Sunday afternoon, eventually people start showing. It's great. And they all are gathered around the big screen TV watching a game they don't understand. And this is back when, if you follow hockey at all, this is when Ty Domi played for the Rangers and Bob Probert played for Chicago, two guys who fought a lot. So I said, you watch these two guys, they're gonna fight. That looks like this, what? I said, they're gonna fight. I just know they will, that's their job. So they start fighting. And everybody in the bar at this point is, because now people are getting in, and they're loving it. He said, what are people doing up in the terraces? I said, oh, you mean like in the stands where the fans are? He said, yeah, right. I said, well, in North America, we, we, we try to confine our fighting to the playing surface. It's a different approach. There really aren't any hockey hooligans. There's a lot of idiots in hockey, but it's entirely different thing. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. All about hockey in England. Uh, at this point, obviously, my jet lag is gone. I had been entrained, okay? How do you entrain an animal? There's a few ways. Uh, some, some easy ones are food. Just change meal time. One of the most important things you can do to get rid of jet lag, they can always just take some melatonin, and that's really easy. But if you have a, have a meal at the right time, even though it feels like the wrong meal, like if your body says, I really want whatever breakfast is, I don't know what you eat for breakfast, bowl of cereal, but it's actually, you look at the clock and it says it's four o'clock in the afternoon, go have a hamburger, <laughs> go have dinner. Though the, the food itself will help, the most important thing you could probably do is actually have the food that is appropriate for that time, uh, whatever that thing may be. Uh, you know what else works is sex. Now I'm not telling you to do that. If you want to, that's fine, it's your business. Uh, in fact, that was discovered, geez, late 80s, and um, 
turns out that if you take hamsters and you want to train them, what you can do is you can give them access to mates and they have sex and then they're, for some reason, it resets everything. In hamsters. I didn't say work with people. But I, I saw a, a talk and this guy had, had published this. It was, it was exciting work because no one knew that this was a thing and then it happened. And uh, he, he put a thing up and he said, I'd like to thank my sponsors, the Natural Science and Engineering Research Council. That's, of course, who paid for his work. And then he said, and the National Enquirer. And it was a front page headline for the National Enquirer, the horrible tabloid newspaper, and it says, sex cures jet lag, says top researcher. And of course, it actually said that, but it was in posters. <laughs> so usually something that's any, already done on a schedule will entrain an animal. And then, you know, you've got various different behaviors, as you can see here. Uh, movement, feeding, various hormone releases uh, to, you know, go to sleep, go to sleep, wake up. And there's a whole series of other rhythms as well. So here's a nice example. This is the kind of thing every one of these little dots is a is a chirp from a cricket. And hard to see here, but you just do that. They are on a 12, see this is 12, 24 hours? They are on a 24-hour only light cycle here, these crickets. And if you keep crickets in the light all day long, they still will start chirping, because the time says chirp. It's like time. But it shifts. See what shifts over? It shifts because their internal clock is a little longer than 24 hours, about 24 and a half hours. You're saying, well, why should it be like that? Shouldn't it just be 24 hours? Because we have seasons. We have seasons, right? And because we have seasons, we have some days, you know, days are shorter, days are longer. Right now, days are getting, are they? Yeah, days are getting shorter right now until December, right? So if, if you just worked on, I get up when the sun comes up, soon you start getting up at a quarter in the morning. But if you have a system that's like, okay, my, my, my clock's are 24 and a half, 24 and a quarter hours long, it'll shift everything over and I'll get entrained every day by when the sun comes up, or when the sun goes down, or when I eat dinner, or whatever. Okay? So that's what's happened with these crickets here, you can see, and now, now how do we know it's a circadian thing? Pretty good indication that it shifts over, but then when we put them into darkness, look what happens. They start chirping just before it goes, the sun goes down. That's when crickets start chirping. Birds start singing just before the sun comes up. Right? And you get the dawn chorus on, like starting in like maybe late March. You, get, you open your window and you get birds chirping, and it's like, will you shut up? I mean, it's nice. Oh boy, spring is coming. Also, shut up! Okay, so what happens is then that the animals have been entrained to the light. So just changing the light dark cycle is a classic entrainment thing, obviously. Just changing when the sun comes up, sun comes down. It's not a sun in this case, it's a light bulb in the room. Questions about that? Yeah, makes sense. Sorry, I mumbled that. Questions about that? I said, Krishwar? 
Okay, some conclusions about this stuff. Behavior is controlled by internal mechanisms. Duh. Yeah, it's kind of a gimme. Um, but also external mechanisms. We have these things, and when animals run into these things like, like the dust, for example, we call that a, a releasing stimulus. That's a releasing stimulus. And then they'll go into what's called a fixed action pattern. So when the chickens start doing, a, doing their, their um, dust bathing, once they start those behaviors, they cannot stop them. Well, it's not they cannot, they will not. If you held the chicken down, it's not, it can't keep dust bathing. Like, it's not going to kill you. Well, it might. So what's called a fixed action pattern is something that once it starts, it goes until it's finished. Okay? And you see it, the dust bathing is a great example of that. Uh, there's a lot of other fixed action patterns. Uh, gulls going after uh, eggs. If you take a, 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 a gull's egg and you roll it away from their nest, they'll go get it, which makes a great deal of sense because it's their eggs. Then what you can do is actually, and you look at what's the releasing stimulus? Oh, it's the egg. But what is it about the egg? And this is some of the work when I talked with Jerry Hogan, his wife, Lee Hogan, did, is she found that with uh, hairy gulls, it's the polka dots, the blue polka dots on the egg important, and the rounder the egg, the more likely they are to go after it, even though their eggs are oval. So in fact, if you give them a choice between a regular gull egg and a round ball, they'll go after the ball. Now, rarely, that doesn't happen in nature. They don't make round eggs, so it doesn't matter. But for some reason, the releasing stimulus is ball, they go get it. Okay. It's kind of cool. So this releasing stimulus happens, just like the dust, it's a releasing stimulus, and then you get a fixed action pattern. You may get a behavioral chain, as it's called, or a behavioral sequence, you'll hear both of those terms. Um, uh, those are series of fixed action patterns that go one after the other. So with the dust bathing, if memory, yeah, yeah, you, uh, the, The vertical wing shake is a different fixed action pattern than all the stuff before it, because it doesn't always happen. So if you stop them in the middle, they won't do the vertical. They, they, like if you, if you remove them or take them somewhere else, they won't do it. However, uh, if they've already started doing the vertical wing shake, when they're shaking all the dust and, and oil off themselves, um, and you stop them, like physically restrain them, and then you let them go, they keep doing it. They can't stop doing it. So that's what a fixed action pattern is. And you see that in, I don't know, you ever watch a cat look do, do this thing where they're yes. pushing into a, anything soft? That's a fixed action pattern. You know the function of that behavior is? So you can guess. Um, needed? Like milk. Finding milk. Looking for a nipple. Okay. And you're saying, wait. That my 12 year old cat does that. Yeah, I know, because your cat has been left in a state of never becoming an adult behaviorally. Oh, that's cute. House cats don't become adults, 
Adult house cats are no fun. Adult house cats are like the cats that live out in the street that never have been in a house and they just hiss at you and want to kill you. Like little tiny lions or something, right? But we keep house cats in a perpetual state of being babies so they'll, they'll, they'll do that. So that's a great example of a fixed action pattern. Another one, fixed action pattern, if you're a dog and when it lies down and it bears its neck and its belly, that's a fixed action pattern. That's the dog giving up. That's saying, I'm not fighting. Here are the most exposed parts of me you can rip out if you'd like. Um, so like when they're playing, they do that? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what they're doing. They're, that shows that the animal's extremely comfortable with you because it's, it, it also knows it's not going to get killed, but it's basically giving the other, the other its uh, rival, which is you in that case, it's a, a, a signal, which is, no, 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 kick my ass, I don't care. <laughs> so that's a fixed action. So, so all of these kind of things you'll see that once they, and there's reflexes, they're basically behavioral reflexes. So you'll see reflexes like this. We don't talk about a fixed action kind of so much of a person, but there are reflexes like that even in newborn babies, right? You put your hand on the finger on the back of the newborn baby's hand, it'll do it. Before they can even turn their hand around to grab your finger, they'll just close their hand. Right. Uh, questions about this stuff at all? Okay. All right, so like I said, next time we might, well, I think we'll probably will go on and also do the adaptation stuff, or at least start it, and um, I'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.
So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved, so you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore, uh, and that was called Podsafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to... Uh, put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music, because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time. <laughs>